You are listening to UBC Waco Podcast. <laughs> are you recording? Yeah. Oh, okay. We can use that as just a scratch track for now. As Jamie said, my name is Katie. I am so thankful for the opportunity to preach again. It is not lost on me that it's quite a privilege to be on this stage sharing words that I've written and, of course, being hopeful that they'll mean something to someone here. As other women have often said prior to preaching, I am thankful that UBC is a place where women are affirmed in ministry and can preach and teach and are encouraged to do so. And while I am not queer, I am thankful for a place that is not only that not only welcomes but celebrates our LGBTQIA allies. Before we get started, will you pray with me? Mother God, thank you for this place. Thank you for these people, and thank you for constantly revealing yourself to us in ways that do not have to make sense. Bless this time and bless these people. Amen. So as uh, Jamie said, we are going to be focused on the gospel reading today. I want to reread the first section of our passage really quick. It says, when Jesus came into the the district of Caesarea Philippi, he said to his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Can you imagine Jesus asking you, when people talk about me, who do they say I am? What do they say about me? When you're out on the town, you know, what do you hear? What's the news on the street? What's the hot goss? Um, I have here in my notes to explain what hot goss is in case you're unaware. So that's like hot gossip. And if I'm wrong, Gen Z, please correct me. Um, it's such a vulnerable question to ask, especially considering who Jesus is. He wasn't fitting in any boxes. He wasn't following any rules. He wasn't staying inside the lines. Jesus was defying stereotypes and hanging out with people who were not held in high regard. He was breaking social norms. So when Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say the son of man is, I am sure there are a myriad of responses the disciples could have given. And I imagine that each of those responses means something different. I think we often name things we don't understand as other. And names and naming has power. Sure, the disciples give pretty above board responses, John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, other prophets. But I'm sure there were other names that he was being given to. Maybe weird, rule breaker, wrong. I'm not sure how I would have responded in this scenario, especially considering that many of the disciples thought Jesus to be the Messiah, the deliverer, the one who would be king and lead the Israelites into power by any means necessary. There are quite a few expectations around who they thought Jesus to be. For those familiar with the Enneagram, you may be familiar with Suzanne Stabile's work. When I think of expectations, I often remember what she says about expectations. Expectations are resentment waiting to happen. And I would imagine there are a million expectations about who the Messiah should be. So Jesus gets the responses of some say John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. We witness the disciples and the society at large trying to make sense of Jesus, 
this individual who is unlike any that they've seen in their history. He especially isn't like the expectations they have around the Messiah. And I can't imagine being Jesus in this moment. Obviously, I am human and have an utterly human response. I imagine I would hear these responses and think, oh my gosh, you are still not getting it. <laughs> like we've gone over it a hundred times. But of course, Jesus is infinitely more graceful. And as we continue reading, he says to him, to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. And the beautiful thing about this is that even while Jesus acknowledges this title of Messiah, he is unlike any Messiah they had configured in their minds, completely defying their expectations. Also, what a powerful thing to be asked. But who do you say that I am? I'm reminded once more that names are powerful things. As I continue to get older and hopefully wiser and more mature, I desperately try to remember people's names. And I will not lie to you, it's not my strong suit. I always try to use that trick where when you meet a new person, you say their name out loud over and over and over again to remember it. So it's like, what's your name? Emma, 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 Emma. And you're saying it over and over to yourself. Um, and honestly, sometimes it sticks and sometimes it doesn't. And there are times when I think, listen, we're lucky I know my name today because I don't remember what I ate for breakfast. <laughs> but have you ever initiated the conversation that starts, so how did you get your name? Now, I don't know this to be accurate, but I think I naturally assume that those who often initiate that conversation are just in love with their name, so it's a no-stakes conversation. <laughs> or maybe we're just waiting for John David to share how his parents had a friend named John and a friend named David, and they thought it was a good idea. And no offense to any John Davids here, that's <laughs> just very common name. Um, but then, if you love your name and it's a little more unique, we're really excited to swoop in with our, our name story. Wait for the oohs and the ahs. Thinking back on this, I think it might be why my parents spent so much time on my name. And while you did not ask, I might as well tell you my name origin story, if you insist. Now, I'll speak in binary terms, though I'm well aware that gender is a construct. My parents didn't know if they were having a boy or a girl. They wanted it to be a surprise. So they had a couple of names picked out. My dad's name is Victor Hugo, or Victor Hugo. Uh, funny enough, at one point in his life, he was an English teacher, so it felt like very fitting. But when he asked his parents how they came up with his name, you know, was it after the author? They told him, in fact, they had a friend named Victor and a friend named Hugo, and it just worked out. <laughs> So when it came to my name, my parents wanted a few things to come into play. One, they wanted the name to be Regal, which, big fan of this, because I often feel like a queen. Um, two, they wanted to make sure there was a name from the Bible in there, like the good Christians that they are. And since my mom's middle name is Elizabeth, this felt like a very safe bet. And three, because my parents' first language is Spanish, they wanted to make sure that the name could be spoken beautifully in Spanish and in English. My dad, as mentioned, was an English teacher at one point in his life. He was also a theater kid, AKA I was born to be dramatic. 
But we love a classic, so he turned to one of his favorite plays, Taming of the Shrew by Shakespeare. Maybe you're familiar with the plot as there are many a film based on the storyline, 10 Things I Hate About You being one of the most well-known. The main plot follows a character, the shrew, who is deemed an unworthy option for marriage because of her notorious assertiveness and willfulness. Though everyone wants to marry her younger sister, in typical patriarchal fashion, their father declares that the younger sister cannot get married until the oldest sister is married. So the goal becomes to try to tame the shrew. And one guy steps up to the challenge to tame this woman and to have her fall in love with him. And she does. My dad loved this play because his interpretation is that the men in the play are none the wiser. They believe that the shrew is tamed, but she remains independent and strong-willed. My dad believed instead that she really tamed him, changed him for the better. And the shrew's name is Katarina, or Katarina, my given first name. Now, I absolutely love my name. I think it's beautiful and unique, and it fits me. But this led me to think of those who don't love their names. For example, when I was younger, I desperately wanted to be named Nancy after my favorite character, Nancy Drew. And I thought my name was far too long. Like, it is longer than the alphabet lined up, and Nancy was a good short five letters. <laughs> it also led me to think about people who had expectations thrust upon them because of their names. Another example, one of my best friends is a cisgender heterosexual woman, and her name is Evan. But whenever her name was on a roster, people often assumed that they'd see a guy and not a girl. Names can also be surprising. Have you ever been in a situation where you find out that someone actually goes by their middle name or a nickname that doesn't seem connected to their name at all and it's just shocking when you find out? Names are important. I have friends who are constantly thinking through what they will name their own children. Names are powerful and they mean something. This also led me to think of friends who can't keep their given names. I've known friends who have transitioned over the years as trans men and trans women and non-binary people. And for some, not all, they have found healing in naming themselves rather than keeping the name that was, for a lack of a better phrase, thrust upon them. And while I am not trans, nor do I claim to know that experience, I imagine that it is beautiful and holy to be able to choose a name that feels more like who you are, a name that feels safe, a name that feels more like home. Or to claim a name that was given at birth and keep it regardless of the assumptions and expectations around whether it is a boy or girl name. The other week while scrolling through social media, I came across a screenshot of a Reddit post and it said the following. I was feeling sad today, so I asked ChatGPT to write a fake biblical passage about Jesus accepting trans people. Here's what it came up with. And a woman whose heart was divided between spirit and body came before him. In quiet despair, she asked, Lord, I come to you estranged, for my spirit and body are not one. How shall I hope to enter the kingdom of God? Jesus looked upon her with kindness, replying, my child, blessed are those who strive for unity within themselves, for they shall know the deepest truths of my father's creation. Be not afraid, for in the kingdom of God there is no man nor woman, as all are one in spirit. The gates of my Father's kingdom will open for those who are loved, who love and are loved. 
for God looks not upon the body, but the heart. The author of this post then writes, I know it's not real, but it gave me some comfort. There is power in names. There's power in acceptance. And as we start this fall semester, if you are new here, I am happy and eager to tell you that your name matters, whether your given name or the one you chose, and that when you're here at UBC, you will be accepted exactly as you are, no caveats. And as I look back on our passage today, I'd venture to say that Jesus invites us to call him who we need him to be. God is not contained to any one name, idea, or thought. I personally am filled with joy every time we sing Jamie's song, Mother, as a congregation. It's often where I start my prayers, Mother God. Growing up, I only knew God by one name, by one pronoun, and it felt limiting and small and boxed in. It felt a lot like the title of Messiah, individuals believing that there was only one way to be Messiah and not at all expecting the Messiah that was actually before them. I love that I can call God mother and wild and evergreen and waking life and a bell that still can ring and eternal comfort and a love that won't let me go. Just as Jesus tells Simon Peter that flesh and blood has not revealed this to you but my Father in heaven, I'd be willing to say the same is true for each of these names we've given God as a community, as a congregation. I'm reminded of Hagar. You may be familiar with her story from Genesis. Hagar, who is an individual who was enslaved, forced to conceive a child for Abram and Sarai because they didn't trust that God would actually grant them children. And then, after being mistreated, she flees. She is pregnant and alone and has nothing. And in the midst of the desert, she encounters God. And God, this God that she has likely heard about from her enslavers, does not rebuke or condemn her, but blesses her. And she declares, you are the God that sees me and calls God Elroy. And according to um, Wilda C. Gaffney, who wrote, Womanist Midrash, she is the only woman in the canon to give God a name. Someone who is enslaved, an outsider, pregnant, alone, completely defying any expectations on who she is and completely honest in naming who she sees God as. So when we're asked, but who do you say that I am? I think we can answer honestly. We can name who we need. UBC, may we be a people who ask for who we need. May we create safe spaces where people can be who they actually are and not who the world says that they are. May we find opportunities for healing rather than harm. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for being the God who sees us and for constantly revealing new things to us. We thank you for questions like, but who do you say that I am? Thank you for being mother, father, healer, wild, pulse, Elroy, and everything in between. May we be formed to create a community where others can come as they are and be celebrated for that. Amen.
At this part of the service, we like to leave a time of silence to invite the Spirit to shape us as we receive what we've heard. Perhaps the Spirit will correct something that I've said incorrectly, or perhaps the Spirit will administer something new. We'll take that time now. Let's listen together.